0: This spring, WBEZ asked the public to check paperwork on old family properties for racially restrictive deeds and covenants. Until 1948, these documents prevented the sale or rental of properties to anyone black or non-Caucasian, and they spread all over Chicago's South Side to prevent integration. Nineteen people submitted records to WBEZ, and most came from unexpected parts of the region. Here's WBEZ's Natalie Moore with part two of our series on restrictive covenants.
1: Premises shall not be sold, leased, or conveyed to persons of African blood.
0: Dave Wigottner reads a line from a 1926 restrictive deed on his north suburban Highland Park home. He didn't know it existed when he and his wife bought the home in 1983. Wagotner, who was white and a retired architect, worked in the northern suburbs at the time. Highland Park's good schools and proximity to the lake attracted the couple.
1: When we were looking for houses, we stumbled across this listing for what was at the time this tiny little house. One of the things that attracted to us was it was one of the cheapest things we could find. My wife and I were just a couple years out of college and we had enough for maybe a down payment.
0: Run down in 700 square feet, they saw potential in the home. Four years later, the couple refinanced and made a discovery while digging for paperwork.
1: I found a copy of the title policy and started reading it. And at that point, I noticed that it had what I've come to understand are a racial deed restriction.
0: He was floored and offended and reached out to a lawyer.
1: He said, I don't think you need to worry about it. And I said, well, but it bugs me. How do I take it away?
0: Turns out it's not that easy, but I'll get to that later. His home's restrictive deed was written in 1926 when nary a Black person lived in the suburb. In 1930, Highland Park's Black population was 1.5%. Restrictive deeds and covenants were used all over the country to keep black people out of white communities. In Chicago, black residents were confined to the black belt in slums and overcrowded housing conditions. Nearby white homeowners responded with fear and used these binding legal agreements to preserve the whiteness of their neighborhoods. I was surprised that Highland Park and other suburbs used the tool as well in an era before white flight before the interstate highway system was built that rolled out the red carpet to white suburbs. Black Southerners who ventured to Chicago during the Great Migration did not seek to settle on the North Shore. Yet, covenants existed there.
1: It's about comforting potential home buyers or assuring them, even though it's clear, no African Americans live here now, we're guaranteeing you they won't live here in the future.
0: The Dale Winling is a professor at Virginia Tech University who studies racial housing discrimination. As a fellow at Newberry Library, he's helping WBEZ gather the covenants for preservation there. Winling found that many early 20th century housing developers advertised in Chicago newspapers promoting their new homes in the city and suburbs. In the 1920s, many of those ads labeled the developments as restrictive. It was a bragging right the way an en-suite bathroom is today in a real estate listing. Desmond Odegu and his students at Lake Forest College located local suburban plats with restrictive covenants and put them all online for a public digital project. By the 1940s, there were 220 subdivisions in Cook County with restrictive covenants.
1: If you look at the legal history of racial restrictions and the way it coincides with the Great Migration, and then look at the publicity campaign that came with that, It was fairly clear to me that there are many parts of the country that although they didn't have a lot of, you know, Black folks, were already being sensitized about the supposed threat of having these people uh, coming to their their neighborhood.
0: Odegu connects the racist covenants to the housing landscape today and the Black-white racial wealth gap. But Odegu, who is Nigerian, says he is also connecting this history to the larger history of global imperialism.
1: Chicago or the U.S. is not unique when it comes to the use of land, displacement, and dispossession as a tool in the exercise of power.
0: And racist housing policies remain even without the use of covenants. Many white and wealthy suburbs in the region still fight to keep the racial and economic homogeneity of their communities, not with deeds, but exclusionary zoning to keep affordable housing out. Today, Glenview has a six-figure median income and a 1.5% Black population. It, too, had racial restrictions. Doug McCarthy's parents bought a home in Glenview in 1967, and he saw their certificate for the title 30 years later. He pulls it out for me when we meet at the local library. And on the back, it has what it calls memorials of estates and easements, encumbrances, and charges on the land. And one of them... Uh, describes that the residential purposes for the land can only be used for people of the Caucasian race, servants accepted. Even though the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that covenants were unenforceable two decades earlier that didn't prohibit them, the 1968 Fair Housing Act made the restrictions illegal. McCarthy says he doesn't know if his parents knew about the covenant when they bought the home, but when the family saw it years later, everyone was surprised. His parents are deceased, and McCarthy uploaded the document to WBEZ. But he has questions about whether his mother removed the racist language. If there any chance at being able to get rid of it, she would have gotten rid of it. Emotionally, it, it makes me a little sad to think that this has happened so recently. All I can think of is we need to work to make sure that language like this gets taken out. But restrictive deeds have not been easy to get rid of. Dave Woodgarner tried for his Highland Park home decades ago. He eventually dropped the matter. Children were born, additions were added to the house, and it transformed into an arts and craftsman style with huge bay windows in the dining room that looks out onto a park next door.
1: Knowing that the restriction was here bothered me, but I wasn't sure how to to deal with or grapple with it. It just felt wrong. It's just like, this can't be. It hit me at an emotional level and that way. Clearly over the years, not enough that I became an activist sooner.
0: But he is much more attuned to such matters. He volunteers in local community development issues and joined the local housing commission, backing subsidized and affordable housing in Highland Park, where the median income is $150,000. And even without covenants, the suburb looks eerily similar to what it looked like nearly a century ago when the race restriction was placed on the D to Wagner's home. Today, Highland Park's Black population is just 0.8 percent, even less than it was back in 1930. The suburb's most famous Black resident was Michael Jordan. In recent years, Wagner has read groundbreaking work from journalists and scholars on housing segregation. He listened to Englewood artist and activist Tanika Johnson talk about her Folded Map series, which pairs Black Chicagoans from the city's south side with white counterparts who share the same house number and street, but on the city's north side. When Wagner's wife told him about the WBEZ public callout on restrictive deeds, he readily submitted.
1: And I suppose if it was removed, it doesn't change the conversation. Like is the wrong word, but I think you'll understand what I mean. I like the fact that I can say there's this awful thing.
0: After we talked, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a bill that in January will allow homeowners to remove racist language from property deeds. What says he and his wife will remove it from theirs, but they won't stop talking about the racist deed or the need to continue fighting segregation. Natalie Moore, WBEZ News.